0: Stories five and six of St. Andrew's Ghost Stories by William Thomas Linskill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story five The True Tale of the Phantom Coach. The great curtain had fallen after the pantomime, and I was standing chatting on the stage of the theatre at Cambridge when one of the stagemen came to tell me I was wanted at the stage door and I must hurry up at once. "'Thither I proceeded and found a lot of golfing boys, hunting boys, dramatic boys, and all sorts of other merry varsity boys, who shouted out, "'Come along, quick, to the Blue Pig!' Uh, "'The Blue Pig is a Cambridge name for the Blue Boar Hotel. "'We want you to meet a fellow named Willie Carson, and there is to be supper, and he has something to tell us. "'The bogeyman has gone on there now, so come right away.' Well, off we went to the Blue Boar Hotel, and we found Carson, sitting over a blazing fire, with a capital supper set in his nice old-fashioned room, lit up with candles only, the picture of comfort. Outside it was snowing hard and bitterly cold. After a talk over the merits of the pantomime, we did full justice to a most excellent supper, and then crowded around the blazing hearth to hear a story our host wanted to tell us. "'Did you ever hear of the phantom coach at St. Andrews?' he asked, turning to me suddenly and removing his cigar. "'Often,' I replied, "'I have heard most extraordinary yarns about it, from lots of people. But why do you ask?' "'Because I've seen it,' he replied softly and thoughtfully. "'Some five years ago it was very, very strange not to be forgotten and quite unexplainable. That is why I asked you here tonight. "'I wanted to talk to you about it.' "'He stooped over the fire and was silent for a few minutes. "'Tell us all about it.' "'We all shouted at once. "'We won't make fun of it.' "'There is nothing to make fun of. "'Indeed, it's a true solemn fact,' he said. "'Listen, and I will try to tell you what I saw, "'but I can't half-picture it properly. Five years ago I had just come home from America. "'I went to stay at St. Andrew's for some golf.' i think it was the latter end of august and i must have been in the town about a week at least when one night it was hot and stuffy and about midnight i determined to take a good long country walk and struck out right along the road to strathkinis it was a hot dark and stormy night not wet fitful black clouds floated now and again at a rapid pace over the moon which now and then shone out brightly In the distance the sea made a perpetual moan, and at intervals the dark eastern sky was lit up by flashes of summer wildfire lightning over the distant cathedral towers. Now and again I could hear the mutter of far-away thunder, and there were incessant gusts of wind. I must have been about two miles along the road, when I could discern some very large object approaching me rapidly.' As it came nearer, I noticed it resembled a coach—dark, heavy, primitive. It seemed to have four large black horses, and the driver was a muffled, shapeless figure. It approached me with a low humming or buzzing sound, which was most peculiar and unpleasant to hear. The horses made a hollow kind of ticking sound with their feet, otherwise it was noiseless. No earthly coach of the kind could go without any ordinary sound. It was weird and eerie in the extreme. As it passed me, the moon shone out brightly, and I saw for a second a ghastly white face at the coach window. But I saw those four strange silent black horses, the more extraordinary tall, swaddled-up, shapeless driver, and the quaint black, gloomy old coach, with a coffin-shaped box on the roof, only far, far too well. One most remarkable thing was that it threw no shadow of any kind. Just as it passed me, there was a terrific roar of thunder and a blaze of lightning that nearly blinded me, and in the distance I saw that horrible, ghastly receding coach. Then clouds came over the moon, and all was black, a darkness one could feel, a darkness of a shut-up, smothering vault. I felt sick and dazed for a moment or two. I could not make out if I had been struck by the lightning or was paralyzed. However, after a bit it passed off. It was a horrible, deathly feeling while it lasted. I never experienced a similar sensation before or since, and hope I never may again. Another very curious thing was the behavior of my favorite collie-dog, usually frightened at nothing, on the approach of the phantom, for phantom it was. He crouched down, shivering and whining, and as it drew nearer fled with a bark like a screech, and cowered down in a ditch at the roadside, and gave forth low growls. I tell you, boys, it's all right in this room to talk about it, but none of you would have liked to be in my place that queer, uncanny night on that lonely road. That it was supernatural, I am convinced. It is a very thin veil between us and the unseen world of spirits. They say I possess a seventh sense, namely second sight, and I know I shall never forget that night's experience. But listen, the story is not ended yet.' NEXT MORNING A TELEGRAM ARRIVED FROM MY BROTHER IN KENT. ARE YOU ALL RIGHT? I WONDERED MUCH, AND WIRED BACK THAT I WAS VERY WELL. THE FOLLOWING DAY A LETTER CAME FROM MY BROTHER GIVING ME A CURIOUS EXPLANATION. THE FOLLOWING AFTERNOON OF THE DAY I SAW THE COACH, MY BROTHER WAS LOOKING OUT OF THE OLD MANOR HOUSE WINDOWS IN KENT, WHEN HE AND SEVERAL OTHERS NOTICED A LARGE BIRD, HAVING MOST PECULIAR PLUMAGE, SEATED ON THE GARDEN WALL no one had ever seen a bird of the kind before he was rushing off for a gun to shoot it when our father who looked very white and scared stopped him do not shoot he said it would be of no use that is the bird of ill omen to all our race it only appears before a death i have only once seen it before that week your dear mother died my brother was so alarmed at this that he sent the wire i have mentioned to me at st andrews by the next mail from australia we learned that our eldest brother had died there the very day i saw the coach at st andrews and my brother saw the bird at our old home in kent very odd is it not but what do you know about that coach only tales i said many people swear they have heard it or seen it on stormy nights I know a girl who swears to it, and also a doctor who passed it on the road, and it nearly frightened his horse to death, and him too. The tale of the two tramps is funny. They were trudging into St. Andrew's one wild stormy night, when this uncanny coach overtook them. It stopped, the door opened, and a white hand beckoned towards them. One tramp rushed up and got in, then suddenly the door noiselessly shut, and the coach moved off, leaving the other tramp alone in the pitiless wind and rain. "'I never saw my old mate again,' said the tramp, when he told the tale, "'and I never shall. That there old coach was nothing of this here world of ours. It took my old mate off to Davy Jones' locker, mighty smart, poor fellow.' "'They say his body was found in the sea some months afterwards, "'and the tale goes that the phantom coach finishes its nocturnal journey "'in the waves of St. Andrew's Bay. "'Whose coach is it?' asked all that were in the room. "'I cannot say. Some say Bethune, others Sharp, and others Haxton. "'I do not know who is supposed to be the figure inside, "'unless it is his satanic majesty himself.' At all events, it seems a certain fact that a phantom coach has been seen from time to time on the roads round St. Andrews. I have never seen any of these things myself. Well, said Carson, that awful coach does appear. It appeared to me, and doubtless in the course of time, will appear to many others. It bodes no one any good, and I pity with all my heart anyone who meets it. "'Beware of those roads late at night, "'or, like me, you may some day to your injury "'meet that ghastly uncanny old phantom coach. "'If so, you will remember it to your dying day.' "'Curious thing, that, about seeing the coach "'and the bird at the same time, "'and in two places so far apart,' "'murmured the golfing Johnny, "'and then Carson's brother dying, too.' i'd sooner see the bird than the coach said one guess i'd rather not see either of them said an american present glad we have no phantom coaches in yankee land end of story five story six the veiled nun of st leonard's Curiously enough, although I have been in many old haunted castles and churches at the exactly correct hour, viz. midnight, in Scotland, England, Wales, and the Rhine country, yet I have never been able to either see or hear a ghost of any sort. The only thing of the kind I ever saw was an accidental meeting with the far-famed Spring-Heeled Jack in a dark lane at Helensburg it was many years ago and as i was then very small and he was of immense proportions the meeting was distinctly unpleasant for me now from legends we learned that st andrews is possessed of a prodigious number of supernatural appearances of different kinds sizes and shapes most of them of an awe-inspiring and blood-curdling type In fact, so numerous are they, eighty in number they seem to be, that there is really no room for any modern aspirants who may want a quiet place to appear and turn people's hair white. It might be well to mention a few of them before telling the tale of the veiled nun of St. Leonard's Church Avenue. We will put aside ordinary banshees and things that can only be heard, well, there is the celebrated phantom coach that Willie Carson told us of. It has been heard and seen by many. There is also a white lady that used to haunt the Abbey Road, the ghost of St. Rule's Tower, the haunted tower ghost, the Fires ghost, the wraith of Haxton, of Aureliat, the spectre of the old castle, the dancing skeletons, the smothered piper lad, the phantom bloodhounds, the priory ghost and many, many more. The nun of St. Leonard's is as curious and interesting as any of them, though a bit weird and gruesome. In the time of a charming Mary Stewart, our white queen, there lived in the old South Street a very lovely lady, belonging to a very old Scottish family, and her beauty and wit brought many admirers to claim her hand, but with little or no success. She waved them all away.' At last she became affianced to a fine and brave young fellow who came from the East Lothian country, and for some months all went merrily as a marriage bell, but at last clouds overspread the rosy horizon. She resolved that she would never become an earthly bride, but would take the veil and become a bride of holy church, a nun in point of fact. When her lover heard that she had left home and entered a house of holy sisters, he at once announced his intention of hastening to St. Andrews, seizing her, and marrying her at once. In this project it would seem the young lady's parents were in perfect agreement with the devoted youth. He did hasten to St. Andrews almost immediately, and there received a terrible shock on meeting this once lovely and loved maiden he discovered that she had actually done what she had written and threatened to do sooner than be an earthly bride she had mutilated her face by slitting her nostrils she had cut off her eyelids and both her top and bottom lips and had branded her fair cheeks with cruel hot irons The poor youth, on seeing her famous beauty thus destroyed, fled to Edinburgh, where he committed suicide, and she, after becoming a nun, died from grief and remorse. That all happened nearly four hundred years ago, but her spirit, with the terribly marred and mutilated face, still wanders a-nights in the peaceful little avenue to old St. Leonard's Iron Kirk Gate, down the Penn's Road. She is all dressed in black, with a long black veil over the once lovely face, and carries a lantern in her hand. Should any bold visitor to that avenue meet her, she slowly sweeps her face veil aside, raises the lantern to her scarred face, and discloses those awful features to his horrified gaze. Here is a curious thing that I know happened there a few years ago.' I knew a young fellow here who was reading up theology and church canon law. I also knew a great friend of his, an old Cambridge man. The former I will call Wilson and the latter Talbot, as I do not want to give the exact names. Well, Wilson had invited Talbot up to St. Andrew's for a month of golf, and he arrived here on a Christmas day. HE CAME TO MY ROOMS FOR ABOUT TEN MINUTES, AND I NEVER SAW any one MERRIER AND BRIGHTER AND FULL OF OLD DAYS AT CAMBRIDGE. THEN HE HURRIED OFF TO SEE THE LINKS AND THE CLUB. LATE THAT EVENING WILSON RUSHED IN. COME ALONG QUICK AND SEE TALBOT. HE'S awfully ILL, AND I DON'T KNOW WHAT'S UP A BIT. I WENT OFF AND FOUND TALBOT IN HIS LODGINGS WITH A DOCTOR IN ATTENDANCE, AND HE CERTAINLY LOOKED DANGEROUSLY ILL, AND SEEMED PERFECTLY DAZED. "'Wilson told me that he had to go to see some people on business that evening, down by the harbour, and that he took Talbot with him down the Penns Road. It was a fine night, and Talbot said he would walk around the road and enjoy a cigar till his friends return. In about half an hour Wilson returned up the Penns Road, but could see Talbot nowhere in sight.' after hunting about for a long time he found him leaning against the third or fourth tree up the little avenue to st leonard's kirk gate he went up to him when talbot turned a horrified face towards him saying oh my god have you come to me again and fell down in a fit or a swoon he got some passer-by to help to take poor talbot to his rooms then he came round for me We sat up with him in wonder and amazement, and, briefly, this is what he told us. After walking up and down the Penns Road, he thought he would take a survey of the little avenue, when, at the end, he saw a light approaching him, and he turned back to meet it. Thinking it was a policeman, he wished him good evening, but got no reply. On approaching nearer, he saw it to be a veiled female with a lantern.' "'Getting quite close, she stopped in front of him, "'drew aside her long veil, "'and held up the lantern towards him. "'My God,' said Talbot, "'I can never forget or describe "'that terrible, fearful face. "'I felt choked, and I fell like a log at her feet. "'I remember no more till I found myself in these rooms, "'and you two fellows sitting beside me. "'I leave this place to-morrow.' "'And he did by the first train.' his state of panic was terrible to see neither wilson nor talbot had ever heard the tale of the awful apparition of the st leonard's nun and i had almost forgotten the existence of the strange story till so curiously reminded of it I never saw Talbot again, but I had a letter from him a year after, written from Rienfels, telling me that on Christmas Day he had had another vision, dream, or whatever it was, of the same awful spectre. About a year later I read in a paper that poor old Talbot had died on Christmas night at Rosario of heart failure.' I often wonder if the dear old chap had had another visit from the terrible veiled nun of St. Leonard's Avenue. End of Story 6